welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at a reference by the Attorney General for Northern Ireland on devolution issues, and the citation for this case is 2019 UKSC 1. Now the starting point for this case is the political context, which is essential for a full understanding. It's quite easy to forget this because it is one of the quietest political crises in British politics, but Northern Ireland has not had a government for more than two years now. To put that in context, it passed the world record for days without a government in the summer of last year. So how has this happened and why has the sky not fallen in on Northern Ireland yet? Well, to suggest that politics in the six counties is finely poised would be a gross understatement. Since the Good Friday Agreement back in 1998, there has been a careful balance between mostly Catholic, Republican views and mostly Protestant, Unionist views. This mostly worked well, but a political scandal in late 2016 concerning a failed renewable energy incentive scheme led to the end of that administration, and that is where we are still today. Meanwhile, the reason that things have not completely descended into anarchy is because, well, firstly, people quickly realise that life goes on, but also civil servants have been performing a lot of the day-to-day work to keep things ticking over. The problem is that unelected officials cannot make policy decisions, but drawing the line on the limits to their power has proved especially difficult. Last year in Rebuick, the decision to grant planning permission for a large waste incinerator was deemed too significant without ministerial approval by the Court of Appeal. In response, the UK Parliament extended the powers of senior officers, but that only lasts for a limited period of time and is due to come to an end later on in 2019. The clarification of this issue is therefore of the utmost importance, and that is what the case before us today is all about. Breaking down the legal argument is especially interesting and requires a careful examination of the Northern Ireland Act 1998. The central provision is section 28A that concerns the ministerial code. The Attorney General argued that this was a reserved matter and therefore not a devolution question for Northern Ireland. The evidence in favour of this is pretty compelling as paragraph 42 of Schedule 3 to the Northern Ireland Act offers a class of reserved matters, and paragraph A explicitly lists section 28A. The only question is whether the ministerial code currently applies in respect of Northern Ireland departments where there are no ministers. However, the counter-argument by an intervener to this case sheds new light on this apparently open and shut matter. The identity of the intervener is Alternative A5 Alliance, a pressure group that is campaigning against the building of a dual carriageway through County Tyrone. They point out that the exact wording of paragraph 42 states that a reserved matter is one that falls within section 28A, and that therefore the section itself is not a reserved matter. Instead, it is necessary to first consider what the matter is, and then whether the matter falls and is dealt with either entirely or mainly within one of the prescribed sections. The problem, they go on to say, is that there is no substantial or factual matter at the heart of this reference, and that instead the Attorney General is basing it on purely theoretical grounds. The three justices who decided this case were inclined to agree, and in the lead judgment from Lord Kerr, who is himself from Northern Ireland, 
the advantage of deciding questions of law against the background of a real-life scenario was emphasised. In the end, this is not a purely legal question, but has to take into account the political context of Northern Ireland and what impact a decision, one way or the other, will make. That context does exist in the form of a case currently before the High Court concerning an electricity interconnector. Those proceedings had been stayed ahead of the decision in this reference, but the Supreme Court has now stated that they should proceed and that the Attorney General should intervene there instead. Clearly then, this is not the end of matters for this case, and it's more like a sneak preview ahead of a future case that us and the Supreme Court will most likely come back to at some future date. That is a good thing, and while I agree with the decision in this case, I think I can expand on it further by noting a clear disadvantage of answering such legal questions in the abstract. The vast majority of people would agree that the political situation in Northern Ireland is far from ideal, and that while it may be necessary for civil servants to undertake certain tasks, their scope for doing so should not be completely unfettered. Nevertheless, where the line should be drawn is not clear, and while it may be possible to make certain pronouncements on a theoretical level, it would not be prudent to do so, because the implementation on the ground may well lead to divergent and unforeseen consequences. In the end, it just makes so much more sense to have a factual background against which the consequences can be assessed and a decision made. From a broader perspective, the situation in Northern Ireland is beyond a joke at this stage, as officials look to make a long-term decision about the future of their country in the absence of any government whatsoever. I know that everyone is more preoccupied with Brexit at the moment, and that is understandable, but this only just goes to show the huge amount of influence that the Democratic Unionist Party have over the levers of power at the moment. In the last week alone, they have helped put paid to Theresa May's Brexit deal, and then kept her government in power. It is no wonder, therefore, that the government in Westminster is afraid to stand up to the DUP leader, Arlene Foster. Unfortunately, this is likely to have severe long-term consequences for Northern Ireland beyond the extended period of time without a government. It is only just over a decade since the Good Friday Agreement was signed, and there was finally an end to much of the violence that had plagued the North. Over that time, the two sides have learned to work together, both inside and outside of the Northern Ireland Assembly, but confidence in that institution, and the peace process generally, is now on much shakier ground. A return to normality, whatever that means for Northern Ireland, is desperately needed, and cases like this one are only papering over the cracks. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. As ever, if you do get a chance to leave a rating and a review on iTunes, that is always very much appreciated. And don't forget you can also visit my website, uklawweekly.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter. Well, I'll be back with another case next week, but for now, bye!